The only way we can objectively know what the biblical Christ is actually like is to let him tell us about himself and his word, and this is exactly what we try to do on a daily basis. Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, begins our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and following, by sharing some of his feelings about having the biblical Christ accompany him in his daily activities. The biblical Jesus is someone that you will always want in your life, always with you, because he's your loving Savior. And oh, how we need to understand that. There's a part of me that wants to get away from him, and I think that's true of you. There's some of you that say, Jesus, just let me do this. I just want to do it. I know you wouldn't like it too much, but I want to do it anyway. And you get your conscience in a warp. You know, it's not really a faith. You're really not confident that it's right. And I would say that especially to the young teenagers, as you start to grow, there's a tremendous pressure. Go ahead and do it. Ah, that's just what mom and dad are saying. That's just what they say at church. And sometimes you go ahead and do something that in your heart you're not at peace with. And you exercise your freedom, but you violate your conscience. And Paul says that that's a very serious thing to encourage someone to do that. To cause someone to act inconsistent with their conscience is sinful. Therefore, the loving, mature believer will not risk hurting a weaker believer over something as insignificant as eating. Look what it says. Be careful, however, verse 8, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it, and we are no better if we do. What Paul is saying is he uses the argument in a very interesting way. And it's hard for us to feel this idea as much as they would feel in the first century. You see, among Jews in the first century, the food was a big problem. Jewish people, if you have some Jewish friends, even today they're Orthodox, they're very concerned to eat kosher food. It needs to be butchered certain ways. Their bread needs to be cooked certain ways. You don't mix certain kinds of food. An Orthodox Jew is very concerned about food. Because in the Old Testament, God's instructions centered in some of those areas because he was trying to teach his people about obedience. When Jesus came into the world, he said, you can eat anything you want to. All foods are clean. And he was the son of God. And he could say, my father's will was accomplished in the dietary rules of the Old Testament. And now we're taking them all off. I have the freedom to say that because I'm the son of God. You have to understand that. But a Jew had a hard time believing that. So they felt that if you ate certain kinds of food, it would bring you close to God and it would please God. And if you didn't eat certain kinds of food, then you wouldn't be pleasing to God. Now, you laugh about that a little bit, but it's very easy for us to get in that same kind of a pattern. Somebody was mentioning to me, oh, about a week ago, like we don't have a regular Sunday night service. Well, a lot of you have shared with me and said, you know, it's really hard for me not to go to church on Sunday night. Because you were raised from the time that you were little kids about you need to go to church on Sunday night. That's the way you were raised. So you feel guilty if you don't come. Because your whole idea, you were raised with the idea, God thinks you're a good child if you go to church every time the doors are open. And you're a bad child if you don't. Now what Paul is saying, listen, things like that, things you eat, services you attend, little 
clothes that you might think you need to wear, special holidays you think you need to keep, all those religious paraphernalia that we gather around our relationship to God, Paul says, listen, it doesn't bring you closer to God. It doesn't take you farther away from God. To be honest with you, God could care less. You know, I think a whole lot of us get into discussions. God, do you like this kind of a food? I ate certain kinds of bread. Or, or do you like us worshiping on Saturday? Or would you like us to worship on Friday? And the down through the centuries, believers fight over all these things. And I think if we could have a personal talk with God, and I would say, God, how do you feel about this kind of food? I think God would shrug his shoulders and say, I don't care. I think a whole lot of you need to get a hold of that. Food, material things, they don't bring you close to God. It's your love. It's your person. Paul says to the Corinthians, food doesn't make any difference. But he does a twist with it. Because see, what I would go on and say, all right, food doesn't make any difference. Let's go out and eat whatever we want to eat. Who cares what happens? We're free. Paul said it's free, and he's an apostle. Paul says something totally different. He says, listen, if food doesn't make any difference, then if you're out with a whole lot of Jewish people that keep kosher food laws, don't order a ham sandwich. Why not? I've got the freedom to order a ham sandwich. I have every right to do it. God could care less whether I eat ham or not, so I'll do it. Paul says, no. In fact, Paul would tell you, don't you dare order a ham sandwich because food is totally unimportant. What's important is the people you're with, and you want to reach them. You want to care for them. You want to become part of them. You know what Paul says? You're free to sacrifice your rights for the good of somebody else so you can become one with them. And that's why Paul's going to tell us in the next chapter, he says, when I'm with Jews, I'm Jewish. When I'm with Gentiles, I'm Gentile. Because I want to love and reach all mankind with the power of the gospel. You know, that's really freedom. You know, the person that's genuinely free is the person that says, sure, I know I can eat, but I realize that I'm free to care and to give and to love. Paul says, I won't eat meat at the end of the chapter from now until eternity if it'll hurt somebody. If I'm in a situation, and this kind of a thing is situational because you're not always out with Orthodox Jews. Sometimes you could eat a ham sandwich without any problem at all. But Paul says in this particular area about material things that in themselves are not moral or immoral, the situation depends, and the guide is what will build up, what will reach, what will help the people that I'm with. Paul says in verse 9 that we need to be careful that we don't exercise our freedom and therefore become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you having this knowledge about idols, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be built up? Now you use the same word that it starts out with. Won't they embolden? Won't they be built up to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. This is a very important verse. And it's the way we determine the way we live together. You know why it's so horrible for a Corinthian to go to an idolatrous temple and to eat? Because one of these weaker Corinthians would see that mature believer doing that. He would go in and eat with the mature believer. And he would be dragged back into idolatry 
because he hasn't really thought through theologically about the idols. He doesn't realize the danger of the occult that we'll learn in chapter 10. And so this weak believer gets sucked right back into idolatry. And as an idolater, he could be destroyed just like the Old Testament people were as they came through the wilderness when they got involved, like on the plains of Moab, they worshipped Kamash, the Moabite god, and God destroyed them. The golden calf, there was many deaths. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that if you hurt a young believer, if you do something that entices them back and gives a foothold of Satan in their life, you destroy them. And what if Paul says makes that so bad? Christ died for them. You destroy the person for whom Christ died. I want you to think very carefully about your relationship together. As you relate to different people, do you think about them as someone for whom Christ died? Think about that. Every single one of you are someone for whom Christ died. And for Paul, all of Christian behavior flows, flows out of that relationship. When I'm raising my kids, this is someone for whom Christ died. Now think of the value that that gets. When I go to school, and when I'm with the kids there at school, all of those kids, Christ died in the place of those kids. That's how much Christ loved them. Every person that we meet is someone for whom Christ died. You see, that's the, that's the whole basis of a whole new group of people. See, what the world needs to see is someone in a group of people that really care about others. And the only way that we can learn to care about others, the only way we can learn to be sensitive to people, the only way we can value people is to realize that's someone for whom Christ died. When I ask myself, Lord, do you want me to do this? I don't ask myself, Lord, is there anything in, in the word of God that says I can't do that? Ha! there's no place in the book that says I can't do that. That means I can do it. That's using the Bible legally. Instead, the Lord says, I ask myself the question, I'm dealing with brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. And they're very important. And I have a relationship with them, a family relationship, because Christ died for me, he died for them, and I'm very concerned not to hurt that relationship. And so I'll be willing to forego certain kinds of things. I'll be willing not to get involved in certain areas because I don't want to wound the brother for whom Christ died. And I want to close by talking about the stumbling block principle in regard to the legalistic bigot. You say, Dave, I got what you said. Okay, I don't want to do anything that will harm the brother with a weak conscience. I want to learn to live my life for others. What do I do about the believer that's been a believer for the last 25 years? And they've got to hang up about a certain behavior in the Christian life. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. They think there's something horribly wrong with it. And they preach the gospel of how horrible it is to do that activity. And I personally don't think there's anything wrong with it. What should I do with that believer? 
In other words, what do you do with a believer that really doesn't have a weak conscience? They've got an incredibly strong conscience. And they have attitudes that they want to force, attitudes and behavior that they want to force on everyone else. What do you do with that believer? I want to point out that the weaker believer, the weaker conscience believer in 1 Corinthians is not that hard-headed, bigotrous kind of a person that's trying to force their ideas on everyone else. You say, Dave, how do you know that? I want to share something with you. That person that treats people like that and is trying to force their behavior on other people, they are not in danger of doing what they're preaching against that much. In other words, they could see you listening to that kind of music. They could see you eating that kind of food from now until the Lord Jesus comes back, and they're not going to do it. They're very strong about that. And that points out that they're not the weak believer. They're very strong believers. And somebody asked me last week, they said, well, man alive, if the stumbling block principle can make me a very much enslaved. It brings me very much into bondage. It will if the issue is, have I hurt someone else's feelings? Am I offending someone else's prejudices? And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hurting someone for whom Christ died, who by your actions is tempted to violate their conscience. Now, that's a totally different thing. It's a totally different thing than the person who has very hard-nosed, strong viewpoints about behavior and judges you for what you're doing or for what you don't do. The weak conscience individual is an immature believer that has a delicate conscience about some of the areas in the Christian life, some of the questionable areas. And if they saw you participating in certain kinds of things, or if you invited them to go to certain kinds of things with you, they would be in danger by that pressure of violating their conscience, doing it with you, and therefore you would wound them and you would hurt somebody for whom Christ died. The Apostle Paul in Galatians stood strongly against the legalist who felt that you got right with God by obeying standards. In 1 Corinthians, he strongly stands against the believer who uses a position of strength to harm the weaker believer. And that's why he closes with the principle of love. He says that I will not eat meat from now until eternity. I will not exercise my personal rights I will give up my freedom because I love other believers. I think it's important for us to ask some questions about our own lives because we don't have meat offered to idols in our culture today. And some things I want you to think about in closing is what are some of the areas, what are some of the questionable areas in our own society that would be comparable to eating meat sacrificed to idols? some areas where we need to be cautious, some areas where we need to be careful not to be a stumbling block to weaker believer. Well, I've mentioned a few of them. You can extrapolate your own list. One of the areas would be in the area of, of music. We have all different kinds of viewpoints about music. 
Some of you like the old traditional style. Some of you think that that style's boring. Some of you like a real hard-driving contemporary style. Some of you like country western. What's the temptation? The temptation is to judge one another about those areas, to be critical with one another about those areas. What does the Lord want us to do? The Lord wants us to be that if we have one of our young people, a group of our young people that go to an independent Baptist church that has totally different viewpoints about music than we do, our kids don't go barge it in there and say, ha, we got freed, we can listen to anything we want to do. You guys are a bunch of ignorant people. You don't really know what the Christian life is all about. That's pride. But I'm just illustrating what Paul's talking about. Instead, Paul's talking about some kid that would say, hey, for a few hours, who cares whether the radio's off or on? We're here to build up somebody else, to help somebody else. Let me get into another area that's kind of very touchy. Some of you have very strong feelings about wine. There's some of you in this audience that think it's intrinsically wrong to have any alcohol, that alcohol in itself is evil. Some of you have alcoholics. In my own family, we've lost a member of our family because of drunkenness. So I have very strong feelings about it. There's some of you, there's some of you that don't think anything at all. Some of you were raised in backgrounds where to have wine with Italian lasagna was just like putting Parmesan cheese on top of it. So we're divided on that area. Does that mean that you need to divide from one another? Does that mean that you allow there to be bitterness and hurt and anger? No. In the word of God, it's a questionable area. Paul says in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. You don't divide from God's people because of a disagreement about that area. So what do we need to do? We need to learn to love one another, but I want to share something with you. There's a young teenager in this audience who realizes that the Word of God says that maybe it isn't wrong to have one glass of wine, so you go out and get totally smashed on a six-pack and think you're serving God. And you're wrong. Because drunkenness is definitely sinful, And also, you don't realize that you might be a senior and a freshman sees you and they don't have knowledge. So you go ahead and have your Valentine and you only drink one. But the freshman drinks the six pack, drives a car when he's not supposed to, and you cause them to stumble. Do you care about that? You say, Dave, why don't you drink? Think of the testimony I would have in Midlothian. In our culture, drinking, in the Texas culture, because of a strong Baptist heritage, there's very strong feeling in the secular world about drinking. If I went and drank around Midlothian, it would be a testimony that could cause many to stumble. I went to a wedding rehearsal, and I did a dual wedding. I had the wedding, and another pastor friend of mine had the other wedding. It wasn't a friend of mine. He got to be a friend. But he was very much of a liberal persuasion. And we went to a party afterwards, and man, the wine was a-flowing. The wine was a-flowing, and man, this guy was tanking it down. One of our kids came up to me at that and says, man, look at that pastor go, tanking it down. 
And that pastor was a stumbling block. But the issue that tickled me was this friend of mine said, Dave, I'm glad that you're not doing that. But I watched my friend drink all night long. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, there's not stricter standards for clergy. You see, I'm not in any more danger of causing people to stumble in the ultimate sense than you are. We're all in this together. Music, drinking, you can take it on into some other areas. We have friends that think you can only worship in a certain way. You have to have certain kinds of music, an organ. You have to have this, you have to have that. Paul is calling all of us to get our eyes on the living Christ. And to be concerned for those for whom Christ died. And to do nothing that will bring an offense to the weaker brother because we care. I'm not under any stricter standard than you are. Let's go out into all the world this week and proclaim the freedom that there is in Christ. A freedom to care about someone else's feelings. A freedom to be willing to give up some of my own freedoms because I want to reach somebody else. A freedom to go into all different kinds of cultures. A freedom to adopt all different kinds of customs so that we might reach some with the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's never turn our relationship with God into a legal relationship of what we listen to, what we eat, what we wear, when we worship, the days we worship. Instead, let's keep our eyes focused on the love relationship that Christ and Paul were teaching us. Beware not to cause the weaker brother, the more delicate believer, to stumble. 